Hey, y'all. This week we'll be talking elk with our friend Jay Scott. Jay has been chasing elk in some of the best areas in the country for well over 20 years, making him a wealth of knowledge for all things related to elk hunting. We'll discuss some of his favorite scouting, hunting, and calling techniques that can help anyone have a better chance at success this upcoming season. And lastly, I hope you're enjoying this podcast. If you are, do us a big favor, head to iTunes, give us a rating, and write us a review. Enjoy the show. Man, we've been talking about doing this for a while, haven't we? I know. I'm excited. Yeah. You're an interesting guy. Yeah, I, I, I find myself a lot of the times like uh, scrolling through Instagram and I'll see a poster you pop up and I'm just always usually very jealous of whatever you're doing. <laughs> well, I don't know what to say about that, but it's um, definitely fun uh, being out here in the Southwest, getting to enjoy a lot of this stuff out here for sure. Yeah. Where, where are you at right now? So I spend the summers in... Uh, Carbondale, Colorado, which is between Lakes, or excuse me, uh, Glenwood Springs and Aspen. So gotcha. it's about dead center in the state. Okay. Man, I, I like, again, I couldn't be any more jealous of your location because right now, uh, August in central Mississippi, like, I, I'll probably just break a sweat just sitting out here outside because it's so humid. I'm already, <laughs> I'm just thinking about here, we, we'll leave for New Mexico in, I think, three weeks, and I, I couldn't. I'm ready. <laughs> My mind drifted towards bugling bulls a long time ago. It's it's that time of year already, isn't it? Oh yeah. It, it, every time you know, like you get a little bit of like I guess chill time after turkey season ends, and then those those hot summer months set in, and I'm like, this is this is getting old. Need some, <laughs> need some time out west. I need some thin air. Hot yeah. and steamy. Yeah, for sure. So before we get into this, kind of. Um, introduce yourself and and I've, i'm curious about your background like how you got into doing what you what you do now yeah so a lot of people ask that question um so i live half the year in arizona and i live half the year in colorado basically in the summer months when it's really hot in arizona i come out here to colorado and my wife and i've been doing that for about the last 15 years um, what's kind of enabled me to do that is uh, right out of college, I graduated from Arizona State University and got my real estate license and worked real estate really hard from like 1997 till uh, 2008, really hard when the right when the market crashed. So for that, you know, 10, 11 years, I really, really worked hard in real estate, which has allowed me to do a lot of the hunting and fishing and stuff that I do. Um, at around the same time that I started in real estate, I also uh, got my guides license in Arizona and I guided elk hunters uh, for 20 years uh, straight in Arizona in some of the best units, um, you know, in the state. And as well as that, uh, as that, I guide for coos deer, bighorn sheep and other, you know, goulds turkeys, other animals down there. Right. Uh, but real estate has really paved the way for me to spend the amount of time that I do uh, and, you know, be able to spend half the year in Colorado, half the year in Arizona. So, you know, I tell people all the time, if it wasn't for real estate, I may be able to do what I do now, but maybe not to the extent that I do it and the amount of time that I'm able to put into it. Right. Understood. So, also, um, with that, I stopped guiding in Arizona, and uh, in 2017, a friend of mine purchased a ranch in Colorado, 
uh, and asked me to be kind of the hunt manager. But my buddies kind of give me a hard time because I'm the hunt manager of a place that doesn't offer hunts. Um, <laughs> it's basically a family place. Right. And um, so I catch a lot of flack from my good buddies, at, you know, over at the Ot 6 Ranch. My buddies say, you know, you're the hunt manager of a place, but you don't actually do hunts. I'm like, yeah, it's kind of a good gig. Um, and Mr. Will actually knows the owners mm-hmm. of the ranch very well, uh, David and Crystal Watts. Right. Yeah. Um, we've talked about it with them in the past. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, those guys. Yeah. Um, yeah, the all six ranch, uh, there was a bull that uh, popped up all last September. I kept seeing him. You know, uh, called him Creed. Yeah. Good gravy. That's a gorgeous bull. Yeah. He's a really nice bull. Um, it's, we don't have any pictures of him yet uh, this year. He he lives in a really odd place, and he's really hard to get photos of until the rut kicks in. You know, he was around very visible on the ranch for probably close to 45 days last year. So kind of the big anticipation this year is to see if he, you know, if he shows up, you know, and starts rutting right in the same areas where he was on the ranch. Right. So it's kind of the big, you know, million dollar question of, you know, where is he? Right. Um, and, uh, you know, it's funny last year we only got, uh, one or maybe two, uh, pictures of him early in the summer. And even though we've kind of quote unquote carpet bombed the area where he's at, he's pretty elusive. So, uh, you know, Time will tell, but hopefully over the next uh, couple weeks he'll show up. Yeah. So a, a couple of questions that just popped in my head just just talking about that. So you're, I think you, there's like two, maybe not two, but there's different sectors of like elk hunters. There's guys that are like from from like uh, from somewhere like I'm from that have to you know travel a long way to go elk hunting, don't get to go that much. And then there's you know there's people like you that that are able to spend a lot of time in there. And so just out of, like, curiosity from, like, I don't know if you'd call it from a management standpoint, what kept y'all from wanting to take a bull like Creed last year? Well, to be honest with you, um, our season structure was uh, we're in the Ranching for Wildlife program now. So when the ranch was purchased, you actually have to sit out a full hunting season before you can go into the Ranching for Wildlife the ranch was purchased in September of 2017, which meant we we were already out of that season, right. and we had to sit out of all of the 2018 season in ranching for wildlife, which meant that last year we had to hunt within the Colorado Division of Wildlife general guidelines for the season dates. Gotcha. So archery hunting that bull wasn't really in the cards. Uh, the owner's wife, Crystal, she... She had wanted to, but just wasn't really, we weren't really prepared. She wasn't really prepared with her bow and her setup and all of that to go right into it. So she actually wanted to try and hunt the bull rifle season. By the time rifle season came, that bull, he gets very, very, he, he goes off in the thick right. brush and he, you know, goes into the thick parts of the ranch where you can't find him. And so Crystal actually came out and we hunted that bull. Um, but we got a big giant snowstorm in and basically we're, we're flooded out or, um, fogged out, I should say for a couple days. And so it right. just didn't pan out. The reality though is we all kind of deep down wanted to see if we left that bull, what it would be like this year. So, you know, we haven't heard of the bull getting killed. So, 
you know, I, I, I'm pretty sure the bull is still alive. It's just a matter of seeing if he's going to show up and show up in the right spot where we can hunt him. Uh, and then the next question is, you know, how big is he going to be? Is he going to be right. the same, smaller or bigger? Obviously we hope that, you know, he, he has the potential to really, you know, with that frame, just be an incredible bull. You know, will he kick up, will he put on extra points, kickers, you know, what's he going to do? It's, it's kind of anybody's guess right now. Yeah. What do you think? I mean, you just, again, I keep referring back to your Instagram page. You seem to be one of the, the better field scores that I that I've seen what, what did you estimate he would have would have been last last year you know I think one of the hard things is my background is in Arizona so most all of my field judging experiences you know hands on on those elk that are on the ground in Arizona and I honestly haven't had my hands on many elk in Colorado on the ground with that I'm, I'm kind of hedging my bet there but with that being said I was thinking he was probably in the upper 380s um possibly 390 uh you know he's not a very wide bull but he's got really long time length which is you know when you're judging a bull or you know even like a whitetail buck i mean time length is everything number of points and time length and then main beam uh and for elk you know time length is everything and then main beam and he had good beams and good time length so you know i was thinking upper you know upper 380s is probably where i'd put him last year yeah, he was gorgeous, man. Like every time I saw a video of him, I was like, God, that is a pretty elk. I mean, yeah, just- he. We we were able to have some really good encounters. Hunter Meekum, who works with me there at the ranch, uh, we were able to get some really good trail camera photos and um, have some good video encounters with him in person as well. And you know, we we watched him for probably forty some days, and he was pretty much you could find him pretty much every day if not every day every every other day or so so pretty neat i hope i hope he shows back up right in the same spot and and uh starts rutting some cows and passing on those genetics yeah man i hope so too i want to see more videos of him i want to see pictures yeah. of him he's such a cool bull i know uh, let's take that into like some some hunting some hunting tactics i guess so you know what are you doing this time of year to prepare for the season i know you mentioned trail cams and and things like that yeah so on the onsex ranch it's a little bit uh different than say what a lot of hunters might be faced with on public land Mm -hmm. in that uh you know on on private land it's really easy to run trail cameras you don't have to worry about you know people stealing the cameras or what have you but i mean even a lot of my guide buddies and such in arizona run a lot of cameras on public land Um, I think the big thing is we just try and run as many cameras as we can on water sources, uh, you know, on different um, mineral sites and and springs and different things where we can catch those bulls uh, in the velvet. One thing to point out is Colorado is really no different than even our elk in Arizona or anywhere else for that matter in that they tend to summer in a certain area but then, you know, can move 10 or 15 miles away to rut. So, um, you know, they have a big range of motion where from summer ground to rutting ground, sometimes they'll be in the exact same spot and sometimes they'll move 15 or 20 miles. I mean, there's cases of bulls in Arizona uh, that, you know, 
get pictures of them in Unit 9 and they get seen during the rut in Unit 7 West and it's 30 miles away. Yeah. So I think the big thing in the summer that people need to realize is, yes, you're getting all these great velvet photos, but really from about September 1st to October 1st, that's when, you know, that's the main rutting time and that's when it's important that to realize that some of those bulls that you've been watching all summer may move and but on the contrary some other bulls may move in from other areas to you know to come and rut so it's it's a lot like our coos deer uh coos deer are very habitual and and in one certain spot but then when the rut hits you know they can move you know several miles and be in a totally different range yeah it's it's very honest. It's always been intriguing to me. It's it's relatable to whitetails where we hunt. You know, mm-hmm. um, it, I don't think the the you know the how far they move is, is not as extreme as it would have elk. But it's it's like every year where we where we film most of our deer hunts at Cottonmouth, um, the whitetail rut down there is around December, and it's like a we t- it's it's like a game you can play running those trail cameras. It's just like a where did that buck come from? Because we'll always have you know they have these certain amount of, of bucks that we know they're in the area and then the rut starts and then you're like well he's new and he's new don't, and then you'll lose some too you know there's some like we don't know where he went and then after yeah. the rut's over they'll come back yeah and that's the thing too um you know sometimes they just show back up and they're gone and then they come back there and they winter there um you know so i, I elk are interesting in that they they some are very home bodies. I mean, we have some bulls that literally I can go find them pretty much in the same meadow all the time. I can get their photos in the summer. I can get them there all year long, pretty much right there. And then we've got other bulls that, you know, come and go and we've got, you know, uh, it, it, it's just interesting. They all have their own personality for sure. Yeah. I've always found that intriguing as well. What do you see? Like, I've always wondered, you know, cause even when, when we go elk hunting, we're, you know, is like with, with primos, we're in a certain spot for like a week or two and then we move, you know, I've always thought it'd be really cool. You know, like you on the alt six ranch get to pretty much spend the whole rut cycle in one spot. So you get to watch the whole progression of it. That's got to be pretty wild. So you could, so I've got to think you, 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 you've been able to get like pretty good tabs on, you know, all right, it's starting to kick up now and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. And, and, also, like when I guided in Arizona for 20 years, I would spend literally from September 1st all the way into the, you know, say the first week of October and you'd be able to watch that progression of the rut. And it's interesting how you learn different parts of the unit and elk show up typically in same areas and you go, well, I'm wondering when that big six by seven bull is going to show up and all of a sudden, you know, three days later he shows up. So, the odd six ranch is really no different and, and, you know, those elk come and go. It's a free range place and, um, they move around, but you definitely get the, uh, you know, chance to kind of see where, where they like to hang. I mean, we have certain bulls that will never go on the, the, the north end of the ranch and they'll always be on the south end and vice versa. We have bulls that always stay on the south and then we have bulls that show up on both, both sides or east west so you get those bulls that are roamers and they're just constantly moving around and then you get those bulls that you know they just stay on the north end or the south end or the east end or the west end um and i think it's like people too i mean everybody's you know everybody's different every bull is different and everybody's got a different personality and and elk are no different for sure for sure it's it's, it's got to be interesting um 
how much like I'm thinking, you know, because you with all the elk hunting experience you have, like uh, we always have questions about guys that are, you know, they're trying to get out for their first hunt or, you know, even if they've gone a few times, they just haven't had that much success. So, you know, like if, if you were to go to a place that, that you hadn't been to before, you know, however, public land, private land, whatever, just somewhere you haven't hunted and you had 12 days, um, how, how much time, there's a couple questions I could take, like how much emphasis would you put on like just scouting or glassing before you were actually like trying to boots on the ground, trying to hunt? Well, when I go and hunt, I try and harvest a big bull. That's what I'm after. I want, I've right. shot some big bulls, so I'm trying to shoot the biggest bull, most mature bull that I can. So what I do, if the country allows me to, is I try and find where the best glassing points are on the property or in the unit that I'm hunting. And then I try and spend a morning and an evening on different glassing points. And I'm basically trying to find as many elk as I can. I'm trying to monitor. Um, a lot of guys, I think, want to elk hunt so bad, they just dive into the brush and they want the calling aspect of it, which is fine. Um, you just kind of have to decide what you want. Do you want to just have a bugle fest and have to weed through bulls and have lots of fun? Or are you trying to kill a specific bull or a certain bull? If you're trying to kill a certain bull or a certain size bull, I think you have to use your eyes, if you can, to uh, weed through them as much as possible uh, because you can look at a lot more bull, more bulls in big open country uh, where you can use your eyes and go, okay, that's not what I want. That's not what I want. Okay, this bull, I need to focus some attention over here. Where when you're diving in the middle of them, you know, I call it fixed bayonets and dive into it. You, you basically have to call them in, spend the time to do that, see if they're what you want, and then move on to the next bull. Well, as you know, it takes quite a bit of time to do that. It's super fun, yeah. but it's not as efficient. So I would tell the guys that are looking for you know, big mature bulls to try and use their eyes as much as possible. I would tell the guys that are just trying to kill a bull, sometimes it's great just to dive in there with them and call and mix it up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of country, elk country is not glassable though. So what I would be doing is checking tracks at water sources. I would be, you know, looking for trails, just looking for sign, just like you would on any other hunt and trying to put yourself in a position to succeed, get in the area where the most elk are and start there and then work your way around. Yeah. That's, uh, I've always, I wondered what, where you're going to go with that because, um, like always when I ask guys that I had pretty much everyone I talked to this elk kind of had more experience than me, I consider myself still pretty new to it. Uh, and there's always, you know, like even if, uh, even if they do want, you know, like just to, if they're like, they just want to have, get in there and call and, and experience that part of it, there is still, uh, a certain element that's always get put, you know, you need to put some sort of effort into scouting first. And I'm interested to see what you said was. It makes sense. I mean, that's, that's what we've learned in the short time I've been doing it. That, that we, if we take the time to go out there and kind of, even if we're not going after a specific bull, we kind of know, all right, well, there's a large concentration of elk there. You know, that's a good starting point rather than just barreling off into the woods and blowing our calls as loud as we can. Yeah, I mean, I've done both a lot, you know, where you just, you know, you just kind of um, 
freelance around and just see what you can strike up. I mean, it's no different than like turkey hunting where you're just kind of running and gunning and trying to strike a gobble. And I've done the same thing, trying to strike a bugle up and, you know, get a bull bugling and then just go in and see what, what he is. Um, and you know, that's, that's really fun. Uh, to me, I like really isolating and trying to shoot a certain animal and picking one out and being like, that's the one I want to get and, you know, hunting the whole time and trying to get that bull. Um, so that's fun to me, but early on, you know, just diving in and, and, you know, getting the bugling and getting the action and getting the experience. I mean, that's one of the things spending 20, 20 years in Arizona and the best, you know, you know, units in the state and Arizona is arguably one of the best states in the country for elk. I got lots of at bats. So I got lots of encounters and I think that's where, you know, my strengths are when it comes to field judging, when it comes to elk hunting is I've had so many at bats. I've had so many experiences, no different than like if you hunted whitetails in a place where you had tons of deer and you got to really witness and, and monitor these deer and you got to figure out what they like about, you know, your tree stand setup, what they like about your in and out, your ingress and egress into the tree stand. If you only ran into a buck or so every couple of days or a doe or two, you wouldn't be able to have those experiences, but you know, so there's some mornings in Arizona when I'd have, you know, 12 to 15 bulls called into bow range. And that's a lot of at bats there. You know, you may take someone in Idaho or, or, uh, you know, caller or, uh, Idaho or, um, you know, Utah or, or, um, New Mexico that maybe they only get one or two experiences a day. Um, so, you know, it's just like anything else. The more at bats you get, the better you get at it. Yeah, for sure. The more, the more times you get to repeat that process, the more, you know, it's, it's just a, it's a natural learning curve. You get better at it the more that you do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you only called in three turkeys a season, you know, you would probably have less experience than someone that, you know, calls in, you know, 60 or 80 turkeys in a season and gets to see them up close and see what they do, see what they like, see what they don't like. Uh, you know, so that's, that's the fun part about elk hunting. Um, I think in some of these better states as you get lots of experience, I, I've, I've never met an elk I can't spook and I've made every mistake in the book. And so I've learned a lot of lessons for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I think, um, like I can still remember the first, like the first elk trip I went on with Primo's. I still, me and Brad and I still laugh about it because, uh, I was filming and uh we got on there was a you know we were actually like walking to the spot where brad wanted to start from and a bull just rips a bugle like not that far away and he's like bird in the hand right you know so he dropped back and starts calling and i just i mean it was like a like i mean like a young young bull like he probably wouldn't even score 250 but i was telling brad i was like thank god that bull was not one you wanted to shoot because i was absolutely wrecked at my job at filming, which I was supposed to be doing, I'd never seen it. I, I, I mean, I'd never seen an elk before, much less one at 20 yards, you know, right. I was like, and I'm just sitting there with the camera, just, you know, <laughs> but I'll, I'll never forget that. But, but to your point through that process and then getting to do it more and more and seeing them more and more, the excitement's still there, but I can hold it together a little bit more. And I've, I can, I pick up, you know, you see enough of them, you start picking up on body language too. You know, like he's okay. Like that. He didn't like that. He's coming in cautious. He's not cautious at all. He's just looking for a cow, you know, those kind of things. 
Yeah, for sure. You know, I have to give a lot of credit to Mr. Will. Um, his, uh, DV or his actual VHS tapes back in the early days, you know, the true series, um, you know, inspired me to really have the passion for elk hunting. And I think I still have some of the old actual big, you know, VHS, the big clunky VHS, uh, <laughs> tapes. And I can just remember watching those guys set up on bulls and, um, you know, being able to take some of that stuff that I watched in those very first videos and mm-hmm. go out into the woods with, with, you know, my own cheap video camera yeah. and try and get some of those same experiences. So, you know, whenever I see, uh, Mr. Primos, I, I, uh, always tell him that, you know, he was an inspiration for me, uh, you know, watching his passion for the sport of elk hunting. Yeah. And, you know, I, I've got to spend quite a bit of time around him. I spent some time with him up in Montana uh, while he was elk hunting. And, um, you know, it was kind of a full circle deal where someone that inspired me so much to, you know, get into the sport of elk hunting and then be able to take and put my own spin on it has been a lot of fun. He's he's uh, an amazing person and he's a lot of fun and, as you know, very energetic and fun to be around. Oh, absolutely. I think me and we've said it before. I, I think Will, without even trying to, inspires everyone that he's around. He's he's just that kind of a guy. And yeah. he's gotten to the point now. He's he's so much fun to elk hunt with because, like you said, he's just so energetic and he loves calling them in so much. Uh, and he honestly, and it's probably kind of like in the same, same you know, is, is kind of in the same situation as you. You know, he's he's done. He's had so much experience with it. He, he honestly gets more fired up when he calls a bull in for someone else than he does shooting one himself. Like I, st- the, the, which I thank, I can't, I can't thank the Lord enough. The first archery elk I killed, he called in for me. And he That's was awesome. just, he was just so excited. And it was, it was, it was a great moment. Um, so what, yeah, I could, I could, I could tell, I could, that whole hunt is still etched into my head until the day I die. Since we're talking elk on this podcast, I have to bring up something very exciting. We have had a ton of y'all ask for us to bring the DVDs back. Well, we listened. If you go to primos.com right now, we just released a brand new elk video. So head on over to the website and check it out. Let's like tell me about like can you remember back like uh like in your early elk hunting days, like the like some of the first times you called in elk, like like what that was? That's always a fun fun story to hear. Well, I can tell you one of the very first experiences I had archery elk hunting was actually in Colorado on the over-the-counter uh, tag. And a friend of mine, Scott Hill, uh, took me, him and his dad took me, and, and we went out hunting. And they kind of went off one way, and they said, okay, Jay, you go this way. I had no idea what I was doing. He had given me an elk call, and I um, actually got right off the bat making some halfway decent sounds. He was a really good teacher and mentor to me. Um, and anyway, I kind of just walked up this little trail and I wasn't very far out of camp. We had walked in there with, um, kind of leading the mules in and we're in there three or four miles. And I just kind of walked up this one drainage and I just kind of made a few cow calls and I was just kind of standing there. I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know anything about setups or anything. So I make a few cow calls and I heard something kind of down below and I was like, golly, I think that sounds like an elk but it it, it, at the time i didn't know it but it was just kind of some small bulls and they just kind of were making these little whiny sounds so i kind of cow called a couple more times and sure enough three bulls come walking up this trail and 
Lake, they're walking up like at a 45 and they're just walking straight towards me. And, you know, they're probably 40, 50 yards now. And they're, I mean, this is first morning out. Like this is, right. this doesn't happen. Yeah, right. Here they come and there's three bulls and they're coming. And I, I remember, this is what I do remember. I remember drawing my bow back because they're perfectly walking a trail and I'm going to have literally about a 15 yard shot on, on all three of them. And I draw my bow back and I can remember shaking like you, I saw you doing this bit. I remember <laughs> shaking and, and I remember, I don't even remember looking through my peep sight and I remember about 15 yards, I remember shooting and all I remember is hearing my aluminum arrow stick in an aspen tree about two feet above the first bull and it's going and the bulls are standing there looking around and I'm so shook up, I can't even get another arrow knocked. By the time I get another arrow knocked, they're looking at me, and I spooked the whole thing. And, I mean, literally my first morning out, I could have had a bull elk if I would have just been able to control myself. And I shot two feet over his back, probably never even looked to the, the peep sight. And literally when the term blacked out, when people say that, I blacked out. Like I don't remember anything other than, you know, punching the trigger and having those – I still remember that arrow just going ding, 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 like that. And that was my first experience with elk. And, um, you know, I, I, I'd like to say I'm a little calmer, but even, even when I call in turkeys and even when I call in elk, it's like I still get that rush and it's still, uh, super fun to me. So I'm still like a little, a kid in a candy store when, when calling elk. Yeah, I mean that's that's what keeps you coming back, right? I mean, you you have an experience like that first off, you almost didn't have a choice, but that's incredible. Um, I mean, it could have been about- over with the first morning and been like, "Yep, killed one my first morning. What's so hard about this?" And then and then I realized how hard elk hunting actually was, but that was my first experience. Yeah, that's that was a good one. Like, I mean, that I mean, there's a lot of people that hadn't even got to have that experience yet. You know, so golly. <laughs> Golly, let's talk a little bit about like calling, like your like tactics for calling. That's something always that you know that's that's primarily you know what Primos is built on is calls, and uh, through your experiences, I'm sure you've done plenty of of calling in bulls. Um, like like what do you? Okay, let let's go like different like I, I tell people all the time, or one of the questions we get all the time because of mistakes we hear is you know like people show up they never elk hunted before. And they show up and they just, from watching too many videos or whatever, they just expect, you know, they just blow this bugle tube and cow call like the elk are just going bugle crazy and the elk are going to run in. How do you dictate how aggressive you're going to get with your calling? I think I kind of listen to what's going on around me. If the woods are fairly quiet, then I'm going to be a little more subtle and, you know, just kind of work my way into it and work that intensity level. As it gets more intense, I might get more intense. Um, you know, there's, you've been in those mornings before too, where there's elk bugling in every direction and you literally look at your, your buddy or if you're, you know, hunting with someone else and you, you don't even know which way to go because they're bugling all around you. And it's like, now what do we do? I mean, there, there's five, six, seven bulls bugling in every direction. Well, at that point, I just say pick one, get the wind right, go after them, work that one, and then, you know, go to the next one. But as far as intensity of calling, I just, it's a lot like turkey hunting. If the birds and the hen, if the hens and the gobblers are fired up and going, then I'll jump right in there with them. If it's just kind of a, you know, 
um, I'm out here, what's going on, hey, where are you at, kind of just a subtle little bugle and some cow calling, then I'll just kind of play to that. I think one of the biggest things people need to realize with the elk is, in my opinion, you can't call your way into bulls. In other words, I get them to bugle, and then I get the wind right, and I close the distance and try and get as close to them as I can before I make another call. And I think what I've witnessed on, you know, 20 years of guiding on public land is guys call, they get a response, they call back, they get a response, and then they start moving towards them, then they call and the bull answers. And what ends up happening a lot of times is those bulls will just keep that, you know, like 100, 150 yard gap between them. They're not going to come to that call. So the biggest tip I can give people is, if you hear them bugling, get the wind in your face, try and get as close to them by using your woodsmanship, your stalking skills, get in tight because the tighter you can get to them, if, if you're making good quality sounds, if you can get, you know, 80 yards, 90 yards or closer, the chances of you getting that elk to come to 40 yards is a lot better than say if you're out there at 250 yards and you're exchanging bugles. Very it's it's very rare for that bull to leave whatever he's doing to come to you. Mm-hmm. So you have to get in tight to them before you make it happen. Yeah, I agree with that 100% because like one of one of Will and Brad's favorite tactics that I learned right off the bat is they love to get a you know find a, a bull that's bedded down in the middle of the day, figure out where he is just like you were saying, and then get I'm talking tight on them as you know dang near as close as we can get without pushing the envelope of spooking cows that are, you know, maybe laying nearby. And that's worked. I, I don't know how many times I've seen them make that work. Same yeah. kind of scenario. Yeah. And, you know, something you can throw in in that scenario is, um, you know, raking a tree, getting in close to a bull and raking a tree. And what I like to do in that scenario where they're bedded down is I don't want to make a sound. They sound off. I sneak in. I use my binoculars. You know, I'm looking Okay, I see them. Okay, they're 100 yards. Okay, I need to close another 20, 25 yards. Get in there. And then if you, you or your, if you're hunting with someone, have them just start raking. So in other words, a bull has moved into the bedded elk and he's raking near them almost every time that bull is going to get up and come over to him. You don't have to call at all. Just simple raking a tree. To bedded elk, a group of elk, a bull with cows, that bull is going to get up to come over and inspect. I mean, dang sure be ready. But I think raking a tree is, is something that people don't do enough. Mm-hmm. And I don't need, I mean, you can mix in some calling, but I like sneaking in silent to them and raking and it drives them nuts. They have to come see what it is. It's interesting. Um, like, uh, cause you're playing off that testosterone, right? You know, they want to go see what that other bull is doing over there while he's trying to mess with his cows that he has. And curiosity because they're thinking, you know, who is this little pipsqueak that's sneaking into my position and is going to rake? And, and it just drives them nuts. I think they just, they got to know, is it a big bull? Is it a small? They, they almost always come over. If I can get, you know, 75 yards from an elk, whether he be bedded or standing and rake, you know without making any other sound they almost always come into bow range that's a really good tip i like that um so i was going to ask that might be might have just answered the question uh because i was curious you know like if one of your hunts you're talking about where you find a specific bull 
and say he has a lot of cows. Is that kind of calling tactic something you would try to employ to get a, a bull like that? Yeah, definitely. You know, big mature herd bulls that have lots of cows are very, very difficult to get close to, uh, for one, without getting spooked because you've got so many cow eyeballs looking at you. Right. You've got so many noses. So definitely if you've got a big bull and he's got cows and he's pretty testy and he's, you know, firing off and, but he's, you know, keeping good track of them and tending them and what have you get in there tight and rake a tree. And sometimes it's just a simple rake. It's not just breaking every branch. It's just getting in tight and raking because that bull's thinking he knows I'm here. And who is this guy to come over here by my harem and rake a tree? So, I mean, definitely on big mature bulls, raking works very, very well. Interesting. Very, very interesting. The other thing is clanking antlers together. Um, even like your rattling that you do, and they don't even have to be elk antlers, but if you can get a little bit of antlers ticking together, something about, uh, you know, just like deer, the curiosity kills the cat. I mean, they just, they gotta come check it out. Yeah. I like that. That's a really good tip. And I would, I would agree. I'd feel like that gets really overlooked more than likely. Um, so like if you're, if you're in a spot, where, you know, cause I'm sure you've heard stories like this like a hundred times, you know, probably as many, as much as we do. I can't tell you how many times we've heard about people like, man, we got on a herd bull. He was huge. And then it sounds like they just got about a hundred yards for yard from him and was calling to him. Like he would bugle back, but he wouldn't come. Like, well, you know, he has 20 cows with him, you know, He's yeah, not, he has no reason to. Yeah. It's like the same, same situation when you're calling to a gobbler that's got 15 hens, you know, it's like he's, he's not going to leave that, you know. Yeah, and I think it's the bugle is a little bit um, miscommunicated or misunderstood, in my opinion. Um, I I think you've got those bulls that yeah they'll come fight anything, just like there's humans that will, you know, they want to fight at the drop of a hat. But in my opinion, the majority of elk they don't really want to fight. Now, if you force them to fight and you get in tight to them, and then you bugle at them. You give them no choice to either leave or in front of their cows be showed up, so they have to come. But you, I think the thing that gets uh, misinterpreted is you got to be tight to them to force them to either fight or flight. Yeah. If you're 100, 150 yards, they're like, it's not worth my time to leave all these ladies to come over to you because then some other bull might slip in. But if you can get tight to them, then bugle at them, you are going to you're going to either have that bull that just comes and stomps on you or you're going to have a bull that grabs his cows and leaves. Mm-hmm. I I think guys lean a little too much on the bugle and probably should cow call more than bugling. I've called in way more elk cow calling than I have bugling. I think one of the things about the bugle is it's such a long call. So in in other words, when you're in the woods and you hear another hunter bugle even if he's really good most of the time your ear you can go that's not quite right 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 whereas if you hear the same guy blow a cow call yeah yeah it's such a short call it's kind of like huh i'm not sure if that's a hunter or an elk i think the elk are the same way the longer more drawn out bugle you give the more chance they can go "Eh, something's not right does that make sense no absolutely 
Yeah, absolutely makes sense. So yeah. I think I think people should use the bugle a little more sparingly. Use it for locating. Use it if you get in really tight and and that bull's not coming. Try the bugle, uh, but I would lead more with the cow calling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, this is that's exactly the kind of stuff I was wanting to hear. You know, because the best calling advice is you can get is from people that have spent a lot of time doing it. And I like I always like hearing people's different tactics and then going as farther into what they're trying to do when they're calling, you know, what, like I'm doing this because I think the elk are going to respond this way. I think that it helps people understand and have a better chance of success when they're out there. So yeah, absolutely. That, that makes more sense to me. And one thing that, that you said that I want to key in on is that you use uh, a bugle for location, locating bulls. Sure. That's something. Do you, do you ever use a, a cow call to try to locate? Definitely. I actually use a cow call more than I use a bugle. Uh, sometimes I don't even carry a bugle with me. Okay. Um, you know, kind of a louder cow call, kind of a, you know, where are you kind of throwing out there, you know, you know, kind of loud. Um, I don't have any calls right here with me to show you, but definitely lead with the cow call first to get, you know, if you get a response. Um, and then if not, then you can throw out kind of just, uh, I just like to do an immature kind of bull bugle, just a squeal. And, and then from there, if they respond, then that dictate, you know, then I, um, can decide what I'm going to do from there. I know this is an elk podcast, but I can't ignore the fact that whitetail season is slipping up on us quickly. It's time to get the trail cameras out, start thinking about food plots, mineral licks, the whole nine yards. All of us over here have had tremendous results out of the takeout system. Head on over to primos.com and receive free shipping on orders of $75 and more. Gotcha. So that kind of just sets the whole pace of where you're going to go from there. Makes yeah, sense. and I'm a big cow caller. I, I've always had way more success cow calling, and and um, I think the key is you want to sound as nasally as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, the key is you want to open your mouth rather than close your mouth to get that yeah yeah you know that more sound. Uh, and I think a lot of people go ew ew and get you know they close their mouth, and I think it reverses the sound that you actually need to hear. Mm-hmm. Or that the elk want to hear. Right. I think honestly what, and it, it kind of worked the same way for me with turkeys. What made me get better at cow calling is just being out there and hearing actual cows. Cause it gave Absolutely. me like a, this is what I need to mimic, you know? Yeah. And there's so many people that have that musical ear that they hear a sound and then they can mimic that. I mean, and that's one of the biggest things is if you can ever put yourself in a position where you hear a lot of elk. If you have that musical ear, so to speak, you can definitely get to where your mimic ability is a lot better. If you don't hear many cows, it's kind of hard to, to go, oh, that's what that nasally sound sounds like in the woods. That's what a real elk sounds like. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, again, it goes back to as many at-bats as you can get. Absolutely. Absolutely. hundred. I could not agree more. The more you do it, the better you're going to be. It's just a fact of life. Um well, we've had, man, I've had you on for 40 minutes now. I, I know I'm eating up a lot of your time, but there's, there's one question I definitely want to, I, I want to get to. Um, like, what are some things that you, like, if I'm going to go elk hunting, I'm going to have, you know, these in my, I'm going to have these with me, be it in your pack or, or whatever. What are your things that you will not go without? Well, for one, obviously you want to have a sharp knife. <laughs> you got to have a headlamp with extra batteries because it always seems that you're walking out in the dark, whether it be back to camp or if you're truck truck hunting or you know truck camping. 
um, have extra batteries. Um, I'm a big proponent of Onyx maps mm. uh, where you can know where you're at, where pu- public land, private land. Um, I like the tracking feature where you can, you know, walk into an area and know that if it got pitch black dark, even if your batteries on your headlamp went out, you could follow your, you know, your track back. Um, that's huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think to uh, having something that you can wear on your feet to soften the sound of your feet, uh, you know, in, in some of the uh, states where it's arid, like Arizona, New Mexico, Nevada, uh, it can be crunchy walking. So, you know, there's a bunch of different types of things you can wear on your feet, but just something to dampen that sound. Um, that's huge. Uh, you know, obviously carry game bags with you. Uh, and then your calls, you know, I think, you know, and Primos has led the way for a long, long time and making elk calls, you know, with the, with the, uh, the, uh, hyperlip singles and hyperlip doubles. And, you know, those were, I mean, honestly, that's, I still have a hyperlip single and a hyperlip double. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're still a phenomenal call. I have some that are, you know, they're probably 15 years old. I mean, they're, and they still work great. Uh, you know, so having calls that you can lean on, uh, and have confidence with, you have to call with confidence. If you're not calling with confidence, you might as well not call at all. Uh, and, you know, having a bugle that you can throw out there, whether you do challenge bugles and, and do all that, or if you're just using it for location, but you have to have calls. You, 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 it's paramount that you go into the woods with confidence. If you're if you're not confident, you might as well not do it. I say that, but the only way to gain experience is to do it. So, um, you know, but if it comes down to like you have to kill a bull and you only have three days and you're not confident with your calling, well, let them bugle and sneak in on them and shoot them um, or practice more. I think people yeah. need to practice a lot more. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. I, we've said that on here before. Like a lot of your success level depends on how confident you are in what you have and what you can do. I 100% yeah. believe in that. Yeah. 100%. Well, man, thank you. Thank you for your time today. Thank you for or for cutting the time out of your day. And, and honestly, man, I learned some stuff from this conversation. Like you're a very oh, interesting guy and you've been doing this for a long time. And so you're a, you're a good source of information on the subject of elk hunting. There's no doubt about that. Well, I appreciate you having me on. Um, are you going to get to go to the Elkwoods this year? Where are you headed? Absolutely, we are. Uh, we're going to uh, New Mexico, and uh, I've, I've, I have a bow tag, which I'm not excited about at all. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've been shooting my bow every day, and then uh, so yeah, uh, Will, Brad, uh, myself, Jordan, Troy, and then our friend Will Walker will all be in, in New Mexico with archery tags and. Um, uh, like Jordan, that'll be his, his, he's filmed, I don't know how many elk, uh, how many elk hunts, but he's never killed one before. So he's going after his first archery bull. Uh, so that's going to be a lot of fun. And then, you know, the rest of us, it's, it's going to be, like I said, I've, that's all I've been thinking about for the past few days. I've been watching old videos and old truth videos from way back when, like you were talking yeah. about, just trying to get myself more fired up than I need to be. Cause I still got like three weeks before we go, but I cannot wait, cannot wait. Well, you know, one of the things um, that I picked up, you know, early on from those videos is watching like Will Walker. You know, he's an incredible archer, and oh yeah, know, knowing when to draw, and and then just like hunting your whitetails. I mean, you've got to kind of slow everything down and focus. You know, go through your pre-shot routine and do everything the same that you've been practicing, 
and pick your spot and, you know, just try and slow down and, and, you know, know when to draw, learn when to draw. I think that's a huge thing. And with elk, you can get away with a lot more than you can on other animals. And even if they're coming like head on, a lot of guys freeze up and they don't want to draw. I'd recommend go ahead, let them get pretty close and then draw your bow because a lot of times they're going to stop. They may spook, but they're always going to turn around and look at you. So don't be afraid to draw your bow. And then don't get smashed back in a bunch of brush. Kind of get out in front of something rather than behind something. Right. When I hunt with a lot of archers, you know, I think they get thinking that they got to get back in the brush and hide. I do the opposite. I'm going to get in front of something, let my camo do the work, and just remain still when those elk are coming in. And then don't be afraid to draw your bow. You know, yeah. I think a lot of people say, I'm like, well, how come you didn't shoot? And they're like, well, they were right there. And I'm like, you can get away with a lot more with elk. And mm-hmm. and a lot of times they're going to stop and give you that second chance. You know, they're going to stop. They may wheel and run out five yards, but they're always going to turn around and look back. And usually when they do that, they give you a Perfect. lot of times, they, yeah, that awesome like quarter and away shot where you can just, I love a quarter and away shot. You know, you just bury it in that offside yeah. shoulder and then the job is done. Yeah, I, I can remember and I tell I tell everybody, like I said, the 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 first art, the only archery bull I've killed uh, with Will. I tell us the the biggest advantage I had by far was being able to hunt four previous seasons with all those guys and watch them do it, yep. and and watch what they did. And if you and this was like I, anything anything that I do right is not any credit to me. I've either messed up enough times that I learned how to do it right, or I learned from somebody else. And so from watching, this was specifically from, uh, I, I remember Brad highlighting it from a hunt that I filmed Tim Killer Bull. If you watch the video of the bull I killed from Jordan's camera angle, it looks like when I draw back, it looks like there's nothing but air between me and the bull. But from where I was sitting, there was a falling down tree, like a big old tree trunk. And he, when his head went right behind that tree trunk, I just went and he never even, I think he heard like just because I, I kind of just being yeah. fired up, I kind of my draw cycle settled in. Wasn't yeah, it, it was, he never saw anything, and I learned that from watching Brad. Just just to your point, and and also to your point, like you said about the brush, like uh, we we use getting in front of brush, and then we use shadows a lot of times. If we can get hidden hidden in a shadow, you're golden most of the Absolutely. time. Absolutely, yep. Try and always set up in a shadow. That's a, one of the best tips you could give someone. I mean the. If you stand still, it's amazing. If you just stand still and you don't have the sun on you, you can get away with a lot with elk. If you don't move, they'll walk right by you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, right man, on, buddy. Well, congrats. And, and yeah. uh, congrats on your first bull, and I'm looking forward to seeing you get your second this year. And thanks for having me on. Thanks for thinking of me, and good luck this season. Tell all the guys at Primos hello. I'll sure do it. I'll sure do it. I can't thank you enough for coming on. Guys, uh, Jay Scott, check him out on Instagram, Jay Scott Outdoors. Like if you if you have an elk itch that needs scratching, you can follow Jay's page and and you will be it will be fulfilled. Like I said, I'm always <laughs> looking at it. Always I appreciate it. it. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, we're gonna wrap this up. As always, if you have any questions, send them into the page. And thank you for listening to the Speak the Language podcast.